Hi. <laughs> I, I just completely froze. <laughs> she forgot the word for hi. Anyway, <laughs> welcome back to Don't Fuck With Ghosts, the podcast about all things haunted, spooky, and supernatural. This is our third time recording today. <laughs> for you guys, this is two weeks after our most recent episode. For us, uh, we finished editing that episode 10 minutes ago. If so, even. <laughs> if even that. So we're like... We're rolling. We're rolling through today. Yes, we're pushing through, but I'm having fun. Oh uh, yeah, I'm. I'm very excited for both these stories today. Mine is crazy, and I don't know what the hell yours is like even about. So I. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Very excited. All right. Well, I think we're gonna start today's episode with a listener story. Yeah, we got an email from um, Cheyenne a few weeks ago. Maybe even yeah. This was a while ago. We've had her story on. On the back burner for yeah. a while. Yeah. So thank you, Cheyenne, for writing into us and for your patience with um, waiting for us to share your story. But I'm going to get started. Cheyenne says, hey, my name is Cheyenne and my pronouns are she, her, they. I've just started listening to your podcast and wanted to take the time to write this to write this before you gain popularity. Parentheses, parentheses, you definitely deserve it too. Your podcast is amazing and you both sound like such awesome people. Well, thank you, Cheyenne. That was so nice. That's very kind. (laughs) That was very kind. Made my heart warm. (laughs) She says, on to my ghost stories. So I have a couple. I don't have any special gifts or anything, but for some reason, after my loved ones pass on, they come to me in my sleep. After a long night of crying when my grandpa, Papa, passed away, I woke up to the feeling of someone holding my hand. I also had a dream when my aunt passed away after having a massive heart attack. It was a holiday and she was there. She was going around to others and trying to talk to them, but they weren't even able to see her. She looked over at me and started crying. She was saying, why is it only you who can see me and why is everyone else ignoring me? She then runs and slumps down in the corner and is sobbing. It was so heartbreaking to dream of that. Thank you again for taking the time to read this and much love. Well, thank you, Cheyenne, for writing that in to share both of those stories with us. I think we talked about this a couple of episodes ago, um, like having loved ones come to you in your dreams. And it's really hard. Yeah. I think especially like for me, the story I shared, my grandpa, he had passed away before I was born. So I never got the chance to know him. But I can imagine that having people who knew in real life and loved come to visit you would be really, really Mm -hmm. challenging. Especially if it happens like right after they'd pass. I know. It's got to be really hard. And I hope that your aunt was able to find peace. I'm sure she has by now. But I know that must have been really hard to to witness, even in your dream state. Yeah, definitely. So thank you for that, Cheyenne. Thank you for listening. And hopefully you've, you've continued listening and you've been with us since the beginning. Yeah, so and you. send us more stories. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we're just going to jump right into our stories. Yeah, I'm so excited for this one. I think I'm going first this week, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Or this recording session. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this week... I decided I wanted to talk about the urban legend about black-eyed children or otherwise known as black-eyed kids, which some people have made into an acronym of just B-E-K, which (laughs) makes me think of the BTK killer. Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm. But they're not related. It just made me think of that. (laughs) So anyway... Let me get my notes up. I always do this. (laughs) Okay. So... There are dozens of stories about the black-eyed kids um, that seem to follow a similar pattern 
They're kids with completely blacked out eyes. Um, and they usually arrive at someone's home or vehicle, knock on the door and insist on being let inside. And anyone who encounters them begins to feel an overwhelming sense of dread. And besides blacked out eyes, these children are usually between the ages of six and 16 and they typically appear normal. Sometimes their clothing is outdated and in extremely unusual instances, people have reported talon like feet. (gasps) So they're barefoot (laughs) or they're wearing like that's only in in some instances. (laughs) Usually they're wearing normal clothes or clothes that are outdated. But overall, they just look like normal kids, which might be what's scariest about them. Probably. The because black, they just, yeah. The yeah. blacked out eyes make me think of Coraline as well. Yes. Not that the stories are similar, but... Really creepy and like immediately tells you that something's off. Mm-hmm. And the earliest reported sighting was in 1996 and was it was published in um, an online source by Brian Bethel, who was a reporter from Abilene, Texas. And originally he had written down his encounter and sent it out via a quote unquote ghost related mailing list. (laughs) And I guess somebody on that mailing list ended up putting it on the internet. (laughs) It went viral. (laughs) Um, He was pretty immediately reached out to and ended up being interviewed on the reality TV series, monsters and mysteries in America. Um, and to which he wrote a subsequent article for Abilene Reporter News, where he describes a late evening out in his vehicle. He'd stopped in a parking lot near a movie theater to write a check, and he was so focused on writing this check that he didn't notice two young boys approached his car until one of them tapped on his driver's side window. He rolled down his window and noted an immediate soul racking fear. The oldest boy said he and his brother wanted to catch a movie, but had forgotten their money at home, asking if Brian could give them a ride. They assured him that it wouldn't take long, that they were just two kids, and they didn't have a gun. (laughs) (laughs) So Brian found these assurances, especially the last one, a bit unnerving, and noted that the last showing of the film they wanted to see had already started and would be nearly over by the time he could drive them anywhere and get back. That's quick thinking. That is really quick thinking. I wouldn't have time to, like, think about all that in my head. I know, me too. Um, If I'm, like, especially if I'm, like, startled and put off by these kids i'm a people pleaser so i probably be like yeah i get in my car let's go (laughs) um but what's crazy is that he noticed that while these kids were talking to him his hand had strayed to where the lock was and he and once he noticed that he quickly tore it away and broke eye contact in the process Mm -hmm. and he said that the moment he broke eye contact with them his fear became all-encompassing and that's when he noticed that their eyes became completely blacked out wow so it's like you don't notice at first until you start to like either question the situation or you like briefly look away that's like when the illusion breaks and you can see their blacked out eyes um and he said and Brian started making excuses for why he couldn't give them a ride and to which the older boy became frustrated. He started banging sharply on the window as Brian was rolling it up and said, we can't come in unless you tell us it's okay. Let us in. And after he said this, Brian tore out of the parking lot and noticed that when he glanced in his rearview mirror, the boys were gone. That's so vampiric that you have to let in. Yeah. Yeah, no, a lot of a lot of other researchers and people that have have been interested in this urban legend have compared them to va- vampires. But other conspiracy theorists believe that black-eyed kids are aliens trying to reach out to their earth or like their planet or whatever. 
because whenever they ask to be let in, they it's usually because they need to use the phone. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but then demonologists believe that they are children of the devil himself. If you let them in, you are allowing the devil to enter your life. Ooh. And some encounters that I'm going to get into um, kind of support that theory. Because originally when I had looked into black, black-eyed kids, I was more on the, the side of them being aliens of some sort because there were some stories that I read where they would say really weird things that they might think humans would say, but don't actually say like, I just need some ketchup for my apple (laughs) and things like that. Um, But some of these encounters really make it seem like they're more on the demonic side of things. So that was a really quick backstory and gist of what black eyed kids are, but there's more encounters that I think will help people understand more like what what in an actual what would it be like to actually encounter these things Mm -hmm. um and some of them i got from reddit and others were from a different website called listverse and it details reports about people's encounters with black-eyed kids um, dating back to 1950s so even though brian's report was like the first one that kind of put black eyed kids on the paranormal map, if you will. Mm. There are still encounters that came out after the fact that dated earlier than that. Um, So one of the earliest accounts of black eyed children dates back to 1950 in Virginia and concerns a 16 year old boy known as Harold. According to the story, which was researched and investigated by David Weatherly, The teenager was walking home one afternoon when he came across another boy leaning against a fence as if waiting for someone. So Harold attempted to speak to him, but received no response. He was about to walk off and go on with his journey when the strange boy suddenly stated to Harold, I want to go to your house. You're going to walk me up to your house. Oh my God. It was then that Harold noticed the blackness of the boy's eyes. There was no white, just solid black. Then something even stranger and more chilling happened. Harold had begun to contemplate turning and running home as fast as he could when the boy blurted out, Now don't you run away from me. You're going to walk me up to your house. Harold turned and ran away. Good, Harold. Good. (laughs) Faster than his legs had ever carried him before. He later recalled to his parents that as he did so, he heard a scream behind him. A scream that sounded very similar to that of a bobcat. Interestingly, his parents believed their son's account so much so that his father was said to have grabbed his gun and immediately gone out looking for the menacing boy who had demanded his son take him to their family home his mother apparently thought her son had an encounter with the devil himself and stated that she would take him to see the local priest wow. so i get, i know it this says interestingly but i feel like back then since you know christianity was so much more prevalent mm-hmm. it was more likely that they were going to believe he had some sort of otherworldly encounter yeah it sounds, it's interesting in that it sounds like they're, they were trying to, or this black eyed kid was trying to like, almost like hypnotize him being like, you yeah. will do this for me. You yeah. will take me and to it, your house. It sounds like they have some sort of compulsive power mm-hmm. to them. Like, a, like with Brian's in, encounter where he like noticed that his hand had started to go to unlock the door yeah. and stuff. But it doesn't sound like it's super strong of a compulsion because people are usually able to break it. Mm-hmm. So um, another encounter detailed in, in the same um, list verse article says, according to David Weatherly's investigations, a strange encounter involving black eyed children occurred in the small village in France. 
I'm not going to try and pronounce this <laughs> this village name. It's spelled A-I-S-N-E. In 1974, the case was originally investigated by Joel Mesnard and Jean-Marie Bignorn. <laughs> <laughs> And involved two men named only as Alain G. and Patrick V. While leisurely driving around the small village, the two men stopped their car in front of a house while attempting to do a turn in the road. As they glanced into the property's courtyard, they saw five mysterious figures who appeared to be looking at them. The figures were around four feet tall and were all dressed in the same long garments. Their hair was long, seemingly right down to their waists. The strangest thing by far, however, was their solid black eyes. The figure closest to the men's car gestured them to come into the courtyard. Unnerved and frightened, the men, the men sped away from the scene. It is claimed that they returned later with more people with them, but there was no sign of the strange figures they'd seen earlier that day. When investigators spoke to people in the area, one neighbor stated that he had also seen the strange figures. He believed they were children and had seen them playing in the road. It's creepy kids, man. I know. Beckoning people to come play with them. <laughs> it's interesting in the stories you've shared so far that they're not, they don't chase people. No. It's like they have to be basically given permission to go inside or, or like they, the people have to like willingly go to them or let yeah. them in, basically. It feels like there's got to be a better system that they can come up with. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it sounds like they're not. <laughs> They don't have a lot of their own power. Like, it, it, they have to be, like, given the, all this permission yeah. or, you know. Creepy, just, they're creepy, though. They're creepy as hell. Creepy. <laughs> um, okay. So, this is um, another story from the same article. And it's more recent. While based at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, which I've been there multiple times. Really? Because that's the... So, my... My dad grew up in North Carolina. His dad was in the Air Force, and they would always go to Camp Lejeune because it's like where they would get their groceries. It was the the local military base. Okay, it's called um, Camp Lejeune. Camp but Lejeune, it's not like a summer camp. No, no, no. It's it's a army base or oh, Air Force base. Okay, Marine base. Excuse me. It's a it's a Marine base. Okay, <laughs> but it was their local um, military base. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, but been there. yeah, I've been there. Um, love that commissary. <laughs> love that PX. Okay. So, while based at Camp Lejeune in North Carolina, an unnamed U.S. Marine stated that in November 2009, he had a strange encounter with black-eyed children near the barracks where he lived. The anonymous witness stated that he was alone in his room one evening watching a movie when a knock came at his door. Expecting it to be his roommate who had forgotten his key, the Marine opened it without hesitation. When he did, though, he was presented with the sight of two small children standing outside. As soon as he saw them, the man stated that he was filled with dread and had an impulse to slam the door shut as fast as he could. That was before he realized that both children had jet black eyes. Despite his fear, the Marine asked the children what they wanted, to which they responded, all the while staring straight at him, that it was cold outside and that they wanted to come inside and read. <laughs> <laughs> The Marine suddenly realized that no one else was within sight, and as the children took a step toward the room, he gave in to the impulse that was racing through him and shut the door quickly. The knocking continued for several minutes, in addition to a rattling from his window, before the noises stopped and the children appeared to be gone. The Marine made some idle inqu inquiries the following morning, but the few people who had been on site during his strange encounter stated that they hadn't seen or heard anything strange. I think one of the scariest things is it, like, knocks at the door. I know. I hate when people knock on my door. Especially when it's, like, really loud. I know. 
The it's idea, not just like a light tap. It's like a bang, bang, bang. I know. Or just the idea of constant door knocking. Yeah. Ugh. Like the person that you want to leave isn't going away and they don't care that you're not answering your door. Yeah. That's no. really frightening. <sighs> okay. This is, <laughs> this is mostly going to be me reading stories to you guys <laughs> that I, I found like online. So this is another one from the same article. Uh, list, list first. In September 2014, tabloid newspaper The Daily Star ran several full front page stories of a black eyed girl who was terrorizing the area of Cannock Chase in Stadfordshire, England. Lee Brickley, a paranormal investigator, examined the case. He claimed that a local woman had suddenly heard a terrifying scream, which she believed to be a child in danger. She ran in search of the child, and after initially not seeing anyone, she noticed that a girl dressed in white stood behind her. She stated that the young girl had her hands over her eyes, as if she was waiting for a birthday cake, and was silent. The woman, who also had her young daughter with her, asked the strange girl if she was okay, which seemed to prompt her to take her hands from her face and open her eyes. That's when I saw they were completely black. No iris, no white, nothing, the witness told Brickley. I jumped back and grabbed my daughter. When I looked again, the child was gone. It was so strange. Brickley also told the media that his own aunt had witnessed the same girl over 30 years earlier in 1982. What? He stated that she had heard a young girl calling for help before seeing a girl dressed in white running away from her. Brickley's aunt caught up to her and placed a hand on her shoulder to see if she was okay. When the girl turned around, his aunt could see that her eyes were completely black. The girl then turned and continued to run before disappearing. In April 2015, a video taken from a drone flying over the fields of Connect Chase appeared on YouTube. In the background, some believe that the drone unintentionally caught a strange girl dressed in white and matching descriptions of the alleged black-eyed girl of Connect Chase. And then a medium named Christine Hamlet believes that she managed to capture a photograph of the spooky specter. She also believes, in part due to her gift to connect with the other side, that the girl is, is, this, is the spirit of a child who died of diphtheria, I think. Um, I've heard of that, yeah. Okay, during the Victorian era, those who do suffer from the disease also suffer, suffer from a paralysis of the eyes, which makes them appear dark and sunken. Oh, Interesting. So either she's a black-eyed kid or she's a spirit of somebody who died of a disease where that's a side effect. Oh, my gosh. Either way. Either one this, is horrifying. This area of England is um, haunted by her. Yeah. And this, that's terrifying. All right. Now we're going to get into the Reddit. All oh, the Reddit stories are always so good. So this story was actually posted three months ago. Oh, shit. By user Acid Spitting Emu. Nice. <laughs> So this is a long one, so bear with me here. My uncle, an over-the-road truck owner slash operator for 30-plus years, told us, me and my cousin, a story in the mid-80s about a run he was driving from Nashville to Chicago, then Chicago to San Francisco, then back to Nashville in the late 70s. According to his story, he was driving through a desert. I can't remember if he said it was in Arizona or Nevada, but I digress. It was about 10 p.m., and he had been driving for 14 or 15 hours at that point. He said that, his words exactly, quote, there hadn't been shit for 100 miles but sand, cactuses, and snakes. His eyelids were starting to grow heavy, so he just pulled right over on the side of the road, headed back to his sleeper, and passed out. At around 2-ish, he was awakened to the sound of tapping right outside of his cab. 
(laughs) Thinking it might be the highway patrol or Department of Transportation, he hopped into his passenger seat to grab his logbook before going to see who was knocking. As he grabbed his logbook, he heard the tapping again coming from the lower glass of his driver door, followed by a child's voice saying, Hey, mister, we're thirsty and tired. Can we come inside? (laughs) He was suddenly struck with this feeling of absolute dread. He said it was so strong that he didn't even want to look to see who was speaking. Something you've got to understand about my uncle, and the entire time I knew him to that point, I had never seen him scared of anything. Anything. I'd seen him charge, or I had seen him charge headfirst towards a guy that had drawn a gun on him. I'd seen him literally attack an alligator that had gotten too close to my cousin when we all went on vacation to Florida one year. (laughs) Nothing scared that man. However, even years after this incident, as he was telling the story to us, you could see the fear in his eyes. He said that he had... He said that they had tapped on the glass again and asked once more to be let inside. Against his better judgment, he looked over at the glass and then just froze. He said they looked like any normal kids, if a little pale, but it was their eyes. If you hadn't guessed by now, their eyes were solid black. He described them as seeming to have eyes, but also not have eyes, and yet felt like they were staring right through him through his lower glass. He immediately yelled again in his words, quote, hell no, I ain't letting you little fuckers in here. (laughs) He said that they stared at him almost angrily for a few seconds, then just disappeared. Not like they turned away and walked off or stepped down from his bottom step, just poof, gone. He sat in his passenger seat for a few seconds, trying to figure out what had happened what had just happened when suddenly they started pounding on his passenger door right next to him and yelling, let us in now. He said that they didn't sound like kids anymore with zero hesitation. He jumped from his passenger seat to his driver's seat threw his rig and gear and peeled out of there as fast as he could, uh, as fast as he could switch gears. He said he didn't slow down until he hit California and took a different highway back to Tennessee. He did say he saw them again later on that morning, though. He said he'd been trucking down the highway for another couple hours when in his lights he saw those same two kids on the side of the road just standing there staring at his truck. They continued to stare at him the entire time as he passed them, but were gone when he looked for them in his side mirrors. He told us he found another gear in his truck that he didn't even know he had. (laughs) This is almost the exact story he told us that day and many times after, translated from his usual dialect of redneck into proper English for your reading pleasure, but yours by yours truly. (laughs) Could it have been a nightmare? Not likely, since he was obviously awake when he was driving into Cali that morning. Could it have been a story he made up just to scare us kids? Maybe, but he wasn't really the scary story type, as well as he, as well as that he told us all the same story well into our adult years. Could it have been the hallucinations of an overworked, sleep-deprived mind? Possibly, but he'd worked these hours and had even driven the same route for many years before and after. Also, the whole black-eyed children phenomenon hadn't even been popularized, popularized in the mainstream yet and wouldn't be for a couple of decades. I'll let you make your own judgment on this story. I'd be interested to know what your take on it is. That's so scary. <sighs> Being God. a truck driver already sounds like a stressful, yeah. like, scary job. Having to just sleep in your truck at night and hope no, like, actual killer comes to I get know, you. I know, I know. Let alone these, like, creepy demon children. Ugh, God. Yeah, it does not sound like my kind of job. <laughs> no, definitely not. I need to be around people. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have a couple more encounters that I'm going to read, but these ones are encounters of people who actually let them in. Oh, yes. So the first one is from the first article I mentioned, the um, list verse. 
Um, In January 2016, a report appeared on the internet said to have come from an unnamed woman who had not only encountered black-eyed children, but made the mistake of allowing them into her home. According to the report, it was a decision that she believed would have lasting implications. The woman claimed to live in Vermont and told of how in the middle of a blizzard one evening around a year earlier, a loud knocking sound at the front door of the house she shared with her husband or she heard this loud knocking. Um, So thinking that someone had been in a motor accident due to the weather, the woman went to answer the door. A quick look out the window revealed footprints in the snow leading to the house, but there was no sign of a vehicle on the road. Now a little unnerved, she awoke her husband. As the banging on the door continued, he went to answer it. Two children were, were standing on the doorstep, a boy and a girl looking to be around eight years old. The woman recalled that they were not dressed for the cold conditions outside and that she felt instantly unnerved by their presence. Despite her probable better judgment, she invited the two children inside. As she ushered the two children into the living room, she noticed how her cats appeared to be afraid of the visitors, with one in particular hissing at them as they passed. We've always talked about how that's a sign. Mm-hmm. She offered to make the pair a cup of cocoa to warm them up and recalled that whatever she asked them, the reply was always the same. Quote, our parents will be here soon. She came into the room with the two cups of cocoa, and as they looked up, at her to take the drinks, she noticed with horror that where their eyes should have been were two jet black balls, like giant pupils. As she stared at them, they both suddenly asked if they could use the bathroom. She tried to remain calm and directed them to it. A moment later, her husband's nose began to bleed, and then the power suddenly went out. As the woman attempted to make her way to get her husband a tissue, she noticed both children standing at the end of the hall, motionless and staring at her. Oh my god. Oh god. They suddenly broke the silence and said, quote, our parents are here <laughs> before opening the front door and making their way back out into the night. Even stranger, as she went to close the door, she saw the children getting into a black car as two tall men, both dressed in suits, stood what? next to it. They, too, entered the vehicle and drove away. In the months following, the woman's husband was diagnosed with an aggressive form of skin cancer, and although she didn't get go into specifics, stated that she also suddenly began to suffer from regular nosebleeds and described herself as being in the worst condition of her life. She is convinced that both her and her husband's ill health is connected to that snowy night when they allowed the two black-eyed children into their home. Okay, the men in the black suits. Yeah, because that hasn't been mentioned in any other no. encounter that I've read about. That's really unsettling wait it makes me think of men in black okay i was about to ask i've never seen men in black but i know it's about aliens right yeah well they're they like work for the government and cover up aliens in in the world okay Ooh, that yeah so creepy Mm -hmm. so crazy (laughs) okay and then this last one this is my last one um is another one from reddit and this one was is also recent it was posted six months ago by user altered state This happened back in the 80s. I was between 9 and 10. I was an only child at this point, and my mother was a single mom. She had taken all the money she had and bought a trailer and some land and moved out to the country. I can still remember how she installed the septic system, installed the plumbing, and an electrical pole, and how we wired that to the house. This had given me great fascination with electricity. I was always helping her with these projects. I grew up knowing a lot more than most kids about these kinds of things. We lived in a rural area in East Texas on a two-acre tract of land. Houses were sparse and situated quite far apart, so not a heavy populated area. Oh, I keep burping. The demon again. Oh, God. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I was a lonely kid for the most part living out there, Um, but I digress. I'll move on to the day they came. 
My mom was busy with something in her room, which was situated at the far end of the 72-foot trailer we lived in. I went into the kitchen for something and heard a knock at the door. I went to open it and found four kids standing outside, two boys and two girls. I opened the screen door and the larger of the boys asked, can we use your phone? We need to call our mom. I was immediately suspicious because where had these kids come from? I've lived here a few years and knew all the kids in the neighborhood. I remember looking at the larger boy's eyes and thinking something was different about him, but couldn't put my finger on it. I shrugged and opened the screen wider and let them in. I left the front door open as I took them into the kitchen and pointed to where the phone was. The larger boy picked up the phone as my mom called to me. I ran into my mom's room and said, And she said, who's in the house? I told her a bunch of kids wanted to use the phone. She looked angry and said, you don't let anyone in this house. Tell them to leave. I walked out of her room and back to the kitchen to tell them they had to go and found the phone off the hook. The front door was still open and the screen door closed. I ran to the door and outside to look for the kids, but they were nowhere to be found. They couldn't even had time to walk or run across two acres to get to the street. So where were they? After that happened, life was super weird. Mom was always getting sick, unable to find sustainable work, and became heavily paranoid and got into damaging relationships with men. Of the weirdest occurrences were when she didn't have the ability to pay the phone bill, so the phone company came and disconnected the phone. However, we kept getting phone calls. I rarely ever answered the phone, so when mom told me this, I was skeptical and didn't really believe her. Then one day, she was busy outside and the phone rang, so I answered it, and I heard a woman say hello on the other end. It sounded like my aunt. Then it just all went to static. When mom came back in, I told her what had occurred. And so she went to, the, to a neighbor's and called the phone company and asked them to check the line that our phone was ringing. They came out, inspected the line at the pole and came inside and told my mom, there is no way you, you are getting any phone calls. The line is completely disconnected. It's cut at the pole. This happened constantly, even after mom moved the trailer to another city. In that city, she had failed to pay the bill again, and again, we kept getting phone calls that ended in dead air or strange voices and static. Oh my gosh. Their linesman told her the same thing. There was no way our phone was ringing, but yet it did. To this day, I really don't know what to make of any of that, but it was also around this time I began to, to experience things like words of knowledge and clear audience experiences where I would know things I had never learned and hear things before they happened in physical reality. What? I mostly kept these experiences to myself and would just think, how weird. When mom sold that trailer, we never had those weird phone experiences again, and the clear audience also went away. A few other weird occurrences. While still living in the country, I was sitting on mom's bed next to her. She was saying, it feels like bugs are crawling all over me. I got off the bed and walked over to her dresser and for some reason felt the need to look up. On the ceiling, there were millions of tiny spiders. <gasps> this is no exaggeration. I knew my mom would freak out, so I told her, Mom, please get up and leave this room. She looked at me with a look of concern and asked why. I said, please just get out of this room. She then gave a look like I was being impossible, so I told her, look up. I had never seen her leave a room so fast oh. after, after she looked up and saw that mess. Literal arachnophobia. We fumigated the house directly after that several times a year. It could be unrelated, but I have never seen anything like that before or since. After we had moved the trailer to another city, some lights would either dim or get brighter and brighter when we would turn them on until they literally popped. When mom called the electric company, they sent an electrician, they sent an electrician out to inspect. He climbed the pole, and when he went to test one of the lines, it literally popped him off the pole, and he oh. flew to the ground. Oh my God. He was okay, though a little shocked, pun intended, and shaken. The electric company's stance on the issue was that there was a miswiring at the pole. It was most likely that they missed the ground. Again, could be unrelated, but the circuit breakers never tripped during these episodes. 
Oh my god. Ugh. It sounds like for for the ones where the um like it sounds like these kids are almost part of what they do is like drain the energy out of the household. And I'm thinking about like with the people who are getting sick, it's like they're draining the health and yeah. energy out of their bodies so that maybe they can use it for yeah. whatever their purposes and are. The spider thing really freaks me out cuz I feel like almost like the spiders were not an illusion, but like weren't real, if that makes sense. Oh, like yeah. weren't actual spiders, like were part of this haunting experience that they were going through after having let these kids in. And I think out of everything, the spider incident is what makes me feel like it's demonic and not yeah. just aliens. I don't exactly know why. I'm sure maybe spiders are related to yeah. the devil in some well, way. The, yeah, and the whole thing about like if you let these kids in to your house or your car or wherever, the, the, you're letting the devil into your life kind of explains like why they're having all of these terrible experiences. Versus it being aliens, you know? Yeah. Have there ever been any movies about black-eyed children? There has. Because when I was doing my research, it said that a movie came out about them, and I think it's called Black-Eyed Kids or Black-Eyed Children. But I don't remember ever seeing commercials for it or seeing it myself. So I don't know if it was, like, super popular or successful, but (laughs) (laughs) there is a movie about them um, out there. But, yeah, super, super creepy. Um, that if, last if you, yeah, if you encounter them, don't let them in one and just hightail it out of there. Oh, I just, that last story is just so unsettling. Yeah. The fact that they would move, like, so it seems like they weren't, it wasn't just their house that was affected. It was them as people because they moved and it still happened. Yeah. But it was also, they were moving their trailer. It was a trailer. So they were moving <sighs> the trailer. Right. Never mind. <laughs> that point doesn't matter anymore. But also I think. It is also connected to just them, too, because, like, if people are getting sick... Yeah. You know? It's a product of, like, your body and maybe not necessarily your environment. Right. As a whole. Yeah. Wow. Ooh, that was so creepy. So, yeah, that's Black Eyed Kids. Avoid them at all costs. I feel like I'm going to go down a Reddit rabbit hole tonight about... Well, hopefully there, not there's tonight, because I'm home alone. There's a lot. And also that Reddit. article that I was talking about earlier that I read a few encounters from, mm-hmm. there were 10 on there, and I only wow. read, like, four... Okay, I'm definitely gonna look. Maybe I'll, you know what? Maybe I'll do it tomorrow during the day because I'm home alone tonight. Oh, so I, yeah. yeah. Don't read it. A- <gasps> Sorry, I just thought of um, somebody knocking on my door and I'm home alone. Oh my god! Or on your window because you got big windows. Yeah, we're on the second floor though, so somebody would have to like get a massive ladder or be like levitating. Uh, all right, okay, that was my to- story for the week. <laughs> So today I am going to be talking about the hauntings at the Velisca Axe Murder House, um, which is in Velisca, Iowa. Ooh, creepy. Yeah, this one is, this is, there's a lot of stuff on this. So you can like, if you want to do your own reading and video watching and EVP listening afterwards, you can do a lot of that. But How did you find this? How did I find this? I think I just searched haunted houses in America and it came up on a okay. couple of lists that I saw nice. and I didn't realize how like extensive the case was um, until I started doing my research. But before I get into the hauntings, I have to tell you about how the Velisca Axe Murder House got its name. It's a gruesome and terrifying story that takes place in June of 1912 in a small town in Iowa called Velisca. Uh, today, Velisca's population is around uh, 1,250 people, but in 1912, Velisca had around 2,500 residents. Um, so it was still small, but it was a fairly bustling railroad, railroad town um, for the time. One of Velisca's most prominent businessmen was a man named Josiah B. Moore, who owned and operated the Moore Implement Company, which I think um, was like a 
junior company of John Deere, like the people that sell the big tractors and all the farming equipment. Uh, Josiah had a wife named Sarah and four children named Herman, Catherine, Boyd, and Paul. So old school. I know. Herman. Boyd. Okay. On Sunday, uh, June 9th, Josiah Moore and his family and two of their daughter's friends, Lena and Ina May Stillinger, went to an evening church service and arrived back at the Moore house at around 10 p.m. Lena and Ina May were staying for a sleepover, so they were, there were eight of them total in the house. The next morning on Monday, June 10th, the Moore's neighbor, a woman named Mary Peckham, noticed that the Moore family wasn't out and about during their regular morning chores. Their house was also eerily quiet. Oof. She went over and knocked on their door. When she got no reply, she tried to open it and found that the door was locked. And Velisco is a pretty small town, so people never really locked their doors back then, even at night. This made Mary grow concerned. She called Josiah's brother to come over, and they banged on the door, shouting in the hopes of waking somebody up inside. But they came, they banged with no luck. So the door, oh my God. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> so the door was locked, and that's what made them suspicious. Mm -hmm. That's so interesting. I know. They went to try and look into the house's windows, but all of the curtains were drawn and the windows, the windows that didn't have curtains were covered up from the inside. Josiah's brother found a spare set of keys and rushed to open the door. And what he found inside was beyond anything I could have ever imagined. The entire Moore family and their two young sleepover guests had been brutally murdered overnight, bludgeoned to death (gasps) with an ax while they were sleeping. Bunny man. I know. In the upstairs bedroom, 43-year-old Josiah Moore and his 39-year-old wife Sarah lay dead on their bed, blood soaking through the linen and splattered across the walls and the ceiling. In the adjacent upstairs bedroom, the four Moore children, 11-year-old Herman, 10-year-old Mary Catherine, 7-year-old Boyd, and 5-year-old Paul were dead too. And on the main floor of the house, they found 12-year-old Lena Stillinger and her 8-year-old sister, Ina May, killed in the same manner as the rest of the Moore family. The scene was really brutal and very bloody, but it was also incredibly bizarre. All of the victims' faces were covered with linens. So I think the research I said saw, read, said that the parents' faces were covered with bedsheets mm-hmm. um, after they'd been killed. The children's faces were covered with, like, bunched up clothing that the killer had found. So just, just their faces, the like not their whole bodies? Yeah, not their whole bodies, just oh, their faces. Weird. Um, the axe, which was the murder weapon, was left in the guest room next to a four-pound slab of bacon on the floor. Oh. Yeah. Um, there was a glass of bloody water and a plate of uneaten food left on the kitchen table. And it was, um, they were able to tell that this food wasn't from like dinner the night before. Like it had obviously, the family had made dinner, cleaned up, went to church, came home, went to bed. Like this food was prepared assumedly sometime after this man yeah. came and killed the whole family. And most ominous of all, all of the window curtains were drawn and windows that didn't have curtains were covered with clothing, like I mentioned earlier. And every single mirror in the house was also covered with cloth. Oh my God. Yeah. That's so weird. Cigarette butts were found in the house's attic, which led many to believe that the killer had entered their house when the Moors um, and their two guests went to church the evening before and that he had been waiting in the attic for the family to go to sleep before carrying out his attack. Oh my God. I know. Man, if they had DNA testing back then. Oh, this dude would have been, yeah. But 
Um, that leads me to my next point. There were plenty of suspects, but the murder was never solved. Solved, and to this day, it remains one of Iowa's most mysterious and gruesome cold cases. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. DNA testing. I know. Done the yeah. trick. Again, yeah, he would have been caught. But yeah, it was. This reminds me of the um, the Clutter family in uh, in Cold Blood. How they were all killed in the middle oh, of the night. Oh yeah. I started to read in Cold Blood, but then I stopped because it was. I should reread that book because I read it in high school and we had to annotate it. So I wasn't actually reading it. I was just yeah. making random annotations <laughs> and that made me not like, like the book. So, yeah. <sighs> well, I have a copy if you want to borrow it. It's yeah. like an old copy too. So it looks like old and creepy. creepy. Yes. So that's the background on the case and I'm going to get into the hauntings. So since 1912, the house has had seven owners. Um, it's, it changed hands a lot over the years until finally a woman named Martha Lynn and her husband purchased it in the late 90s, 1990s. She restored the house um, and got it added to the National Register of Historic Places. Previous tenants have had the par- following paranormal encounters. Uh, they've seen a shadowy man with an axe standing at the foot of their bed. They've seen images of bloody shoes Closet doors will open and close on their Who's own. Who's witnessing these? Uh, the former tenants, the previous oh, okay. people who lived and owned the house. Okay, okay, okay. Because they've changed hands over time. Yeah. Um, they've heard the sounds of children crying, and they've had their clothing taken from their dressers and closets and strewn about the room. Gosh. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until the house was restored by Martha Lynn and opened to the public that the hauntings really started to manifest. Today, the house is known as the Velisca Axe Murder House, and it's open for overnight guests. It's a popular destination for paranormal enthusiasts and um, both amateur and professional ghost hunters. And there is a ton of information out there about hauntings that have taken place at the Velisca Axe Murder House. Um, they have their own website that lists some of this information, and there are tons of stories all over the internet. <clears throat> but there are two stories in particular that I want to share with you today. So first, I want to talk about a 10-year-long paranormal investigation at Villisca that was conducted by the PRISM's Paranormal Research Team. Uh, PRISM, which P-R-I-S-M, it's an acronym, was founded in Omaha, Nebraska by a man named David Pierce Rodriguez. PRISM's goal is to collect as much paranormal evidence as possible from their investigation sites, and they do not charge for their services. The information from their private investigations is not released to the public without explicit permission from their clients, which I kind of like. Like, both of those factors make them seem, like, legitimate and Mm -hmm. not scammers, which is cool. So PRISM has conducted a long list of investigations in Florida, Iowa, and Nebraska, and they've even traveled internationally on two separate occasions to France and Cuba. But today, like I said, we're going to talk about their 10-year investigation at the Velisca Axe Murder House. Prism visited the Velisca Axe Murder House numerous times between 2004 and 2014. And actually, in 2004, Prism was one of the first paranormal investigation teams that got permission to conduct overnight investigations at the house. So I'm going to go through some of the most shocking evidence of this investigation over the years, as outlined on Prism's website, which is www.doucdeadpeople.org. Oh my god. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great website. It feels like it's still stuck in 2004, but like in a good way. <laughs> so Prism has a lot of photo evidence um, in the Velisca Axe Murder House that shows... Um, evidence of, you know, paranormal activity. So they have lots of orbs, lots of, um, like inexplainable streaks of light. 
um, lots of like shadowy kind of figures or things that look like manipulation. But there's one photo that they took in 2005 that is pretty frightening. I will show it to you now and I will also put it um, on Instagram. But this photo, which is taken in the Velisca Axe Murder House's kitchen, very clearly shows um, what looks like three little girls standing huddled together in the kitchen's corner. And people assume that this is Catherine Moore and her two friends, Lena and Ina Stillinger, who were murdered that night. So I will show you the picture now. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. I know. I know. It's, like, shocking. So who do they think it is? The two girls? They think it's the daughter and her two friends who were sleeping over who got murdered that night. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, you guys will be able to see it, but you can very clearly see. Like, it's blurry, but you can definitely see, like, three silhouettes. Yeah, and you can see their eyes and their pairs of legs and it looks like they're wearing little pink dresses yeah it's really freaky okay so like i said there are tons of photos you can look at on their website if you want to see more most of them are like i said just orbs but this is the one picture that really stood stood out to me um they also have collected video evidence over the years um i can't show videos over a podcast but i will describe um two videos in particular that they highlight on their timeline on their website So they say, um, oh, and you can watch these videos on their website too. So from their website, they say, a 2005 infrared video footage was taken by PRISM founder David Pierce Rodriguez from a windowsill in the children's bedroom of the Moore residence. As a PRISM investigator approaches the door to the children's bedroom, a mysterious orb flies toward our trigger item. Our trigger item was a dress similar to the one a young turn-of-the-century girl would have worn to go to church. The Moore and Stillinger girls would have been wearing their Sunday best before they went to sleep that night on the night of their unfortunate deaths. The vintage dress can be seen hanging in the center of the closet. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So they like hung this dress up as like a, to like almost attract a moth to a flame. And they had the video captures an orb like going right (gasps) in the direction of the dress. Oh my God. It's, they have it, I think on their website, it's like in a GIF. So you can watch the GIF, but it's, it's yeah. pretty creepy. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, the next video is prefaced with the following. There were no windows open in the house. There were no drafts of air noticed in the rooms. There were no fans, air conditioners, or heaters turned on in the house. Absolutely nothing was faked. So this video shows at around 1.10 a.m. on May 8, 2005. Um, it shows the closet door in the bedroom where the four more children were killed. And you see the door slightly ajar before it slowly closes on its own and opens back up on its own. It does this a couple of times. The same footage was captured four months later on September 10th at around 2 a.m. And it's believed that the killer came into the house um, sometime between 1245 and like 145 in the morning. Wow. Yeah. So the door movement is happening around the same time that this person would have been in their house, either as he was killing them or after he was preparing his uneaten plate of food that he left in the kitchen. Weird. Wait, so this door is opening as if it's like the spirit of the killer? Well, the door is just opening on its own and closing yeah. on its own. So I'm just saying that oh, okay. it could be the spirit okay. of the killer because it's happening at around the same time that the killer was in the house. Yeah, weird. What if like one of the, because it couldn't be obviously any of the kids, but like what if the, the dad like did it? 
And like, like the so, dog killed them? Yeah, so and then and he then like he, killed himself or somehow. It's like he axed himself? I don't they know. Were, it's a stretch, but like it would make sense like if the killer had somehow died in the house and was maybe. still there. They were axed so badly that they weren't recognizable though. Okay, so yeah, so, that kind of <laughs> that kinda kills maybe, that theory. I don't know. But you know, <sighs> dad's that you know, maybe. Um Okay. So the next things I'm gonna play for you guys are some EVPs. Oh, I'm so um, excited for I know. these. The EVPs are what really started to freak me out. Something about hearing um, specifically children's voices Ugh. in these recordings. Yeah. Like the videos are freaky. The closet door is freaky. Um, the voice, like us hearing it though, kind of makes us witnesses to it too though. Yeah, you know? it does. So it puts you in adds. the shoes of the investigators. Yeah. Um, Prism has like a huge database of all of their EVP recordings from the Velisca Axe Murder House on their website. Um, but over the 10 years, the ones that they say are like the strongest evidence are the ones where they are claiming to have captured audio of the children who were murdered in the house. So in the EVPs that I'm about to play for you, you can explicitly hear the voices of several young children speaking to the investigators, um, speaking over the investigators. And to keep in mind that these investigations were done overnight with trained adult professionals, like only. So there were no children in or around the house anywhere um, by the time that these recordings were captured. So the PRISM website says, this EVP was recorded by PRISM founder David P. Rodriguez on an Olympus W10 digital audio recorder on May 8, 2005. The digital audio recorder was located in the children's bedroom on the second floor of the house. In the recording, a camera is heard, then PRISM investigator Annie Holm coughs. This is followed by the sound of a child saying... Um, of a child sighing. David then asks, what time are we supposed to leave here anyway? And Annie responds, I don't know. Immediately after that, two distinct children's voices can be heard talking over each other. One child clearly says, get in here. But what the other child is saying is unknown. David and Annie continue to talk while the children continue to be heard talking. David and Annie did not hear these children. They were only heard later after listening back to the recordings. So I'm going to play, we're going to play um, a clip of the full recording and then a clip of the, um, the children's voices isolated on a loop. So you'll hear that. You'll be able to hear them very clearly. Uh. Well, tell me you're supposed to leave here anyway. Get in here. What? Huh? What? So did that include um, the investigators' voices too? Who was the the older was, one? The the older man is David Rodriguez, and the older woman is Annie Hom. They're both two investigators. Okay, so, so it's it two was adults, and then basically them talking to the, those were so creepy. I know. Okay, we'll play the looped version now. Just I mean, yeah, we'll play the we'll play the looped version now. Oh, okay, cool. Get in here. What on earth? It's it's like genuinely terrifying. It sounds like he's saying Logan. I know. And it's also like the voices are so clear. Yeah. I think well, what scares me the most is that they didn't hear that when they were just that um when Annie and David were talking to each other. So the looped version is what they weren't hearing, or they didn't hear any of the voices when they were talking to each they other. They didn't hear any of the voices. Oh, wow. The looped version is just like isolating the the strongest recording of the two kids, but they yeah. didn't hear any of those extra okay. voices. Yeah, and the full recording that we listened to, though they were so clear. 
Mm-hmm. Like when he was like, I don't know, or I did know. you hear that or something, whatever he said, the little boy said. Um, and it was also crazy that you could, I could at least hear how his voice kind of sounded like it came from an, another time. Okay. I didn't catch that. I'll have to listen again. It like, he sounded like a little boy from like the early 1900s or whenever this happened. Yeah. The 1912. Yeah. yeah so I know that one's creepy. creepy. There are two more that I'm going to play for you. Um, This next one, again, the description from the website says this audio clip was recorded on videotape in the doorway to the second floor attic right outside of the children's bedroom. I'm at 1.41 a.m. on September 10th, 2005. So September 10th is when they were murdered back in 1912. And the attic is where they are saying that the the killer was hanging out and waiting for them to come home from church. Um, It was recorded by PRISM investigator Annie H. on a video camera. Immediately after PRISM investigator Annie Hahn asks, Hey, sweetie, can you close the door? A child's voice can be heard saying what sounds like, quote, do it again, Lena, you do it, end quote. And Lena is the name of the daughter or one of the girls who was killed. Yeah. The source of the clicking sound heard in the middle of the EVP is unknown. Oh, my God. So we'll play that one now. Clicking sound. All right. Hey, sweetie, can you close the door? Okay, and now we're going to play the loop so you can hear it much more clearly. Okay, yeah, I could definitely hear it clear with the loop, mm-hmm. but I, I never heard Lena. I hear it. Do it again, Lena. You do it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yep. I got it now. Yeah. But yeah, I still hear that like inflection in their voice where it sounds like they're from another time. That's so crazy. That's crazy. Okay. So the last one I'm going to play for you guys is... Oh, let me get up. I scrolled down on my notes too far. Okay. The website says this audio clip was recorded in the kitchen of the Liska Axe murder house by prism investigator Dan Christensen on a Sony ICD B300 digital audio recorder on May 27th, 2006. A child's voice can be heard saying what sounds like, who are you? There were no children allowed on the investigation as per usual. So we'll go ahead and play that for you now. It's just so clearly a child's voice. I know. That's so crazy. And the fact that nobody hears it when they're talking out loud. Yeah, that's... Oh, my God. It's so creepy. Yeah. Okay, loop now? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I can definitely hear the, who are you? (laughs) Honestly, he sounds kind of annoying, but that's okay. He was killed. You know, he's been through a lot. Okay. He's probably, I feel like little kids, I would hope that maybe when they were killed, they were so young that, and they were in their sleep that they didn't know was happening to them. And so maybe they're just excited when people come to the house and they have friends to play with. I don't know. I try not to think about it too much. Like what's going through their head when all that's happening. Yeah can't wrap my head around it (laughs) so yeah um like i said there's a lot more on the prism website that you can watch um read about and listen to for more evps and photos and videos um prism did this extensive investigation for 10 years and they've just they've collected a lot of very compelling evidence yeah we were just talking about this but these evps are some of the clearest i've ever heard they really are like that's that's wild yeah they really are clear so I said that I had two stories I wanted to share with you guys. So the first one, we just covered 
um, the PRISM's 10-year investigation, but now I want to talk about a frightening incident that happened in the House in 2014. So on November 7th, 2014, Montgomery County Sheriff's Office was called to the Villisca Axe Murder House at 1245 a.m., which, remember, that's around the time when the killer was doing his business. Mm. Upon arriving at the house, authorities found a recreational paranormal investigator named Robert Lawrenson Jr. inside one of the bedrooms with self-inflicted stab wounds. No. Yes. Was he dead? No. Oh, my God. I know. So this is an excerpt from an article on Vice about... Um, what happened. So the article says earlier this month, Robert Stephen Lawrenson Jr. 37 of Rhinelander, Wisconsin visited the Villisca Axe murder house. He arrived with a group of friends for a recreational paranormal investigation, according to Montgomery County Sheriff Joe Sampson quote, from my understanding, he was alone in the Northwest bedroom and the rest of the party was outside and he called for help on their mobile two-way radios. Samson told me his companions found him stabbed in his chest an apparently self-inflicted wound called 911 and Lorson was bought, brought to a nearby hospital before being helicoptered to Creighton University Medical Center in Omaha. Oh my God. According to a Montgomery County police report, the incident happened around 1245 a.m., which is said to be the approximate time that the 1912 murders of Josiah and Sarah Moore, along with their four children and two visiting girls, took place. Sheriff Sampson has been on the county police force since 1992 and sheriff for the last six years. He says that he's never been called out to the house for any emergencies in the past and refers to Villisca as just your basic small town Iowa farming community. The town has had drawn a lot of attention since the Lorison episode. However, and both Samson and Lynn, the caretaker of the Velisca Axe murder house, say they have been inundated with media inquiries, which they hope will end soon. This particular incident has been very upsetting, Lynn says. It's publicity, but it's not exactly the kind of publicity you desired publicity you desire to have. I don't want people thinking that when they come to the Velisca Axe murder house that something's going to happen that's going to make them do something like that. I want them to have a good experience from the house, learn about the history, and if something paranormal comes out, then that's one up for them, I guess. Lynn and Samson say that Lorson has recovered from his injuries, but will not comment any further out of respect for the family. So something happened in that house that made that man stab himself. And Honestly, I was reading- that makes me think back to our theory that the killer's spirit is somehow stuck to the house. Probably. Because I, and I was reading another article about this, and they said that the um Lorson, the guy who stabbed himself, had been to the house multiple times before. So like he oh, wasn't weird. he wasn't like a um like a brand new paranormal yeah. investigator checking it out for the first time. Like he'd wow. been there before and something made him stab himself in the chest. That's crazy. I know. So that one Oof. gave me really big heebie jeebies. Mm-hmm. But if you want to try your own, with that, on that note, if you want to try your own luck with an overnight visit <laughs> to the Velisca Axe Murder House, you'll have to pay $428 uh, for one night, um, and you can bring a group of one to six people. Oh, my God. I know. And I actually checked their calendar, and they are almost entirely booked up every single night for the rest of the summer and into the fall. Wow. I think October books up, like, yeah, probably a year in advance. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a hot spot for paranormal I'm investigations. Sure. Uh, definitely a place where you should not use a Ouija board. Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> Conjure yeah. the killer. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, fully booked up. Yeah. So that is the story behind the gruesome murder and the chilling hauntings of the Velisca Axe murder house. Wait, so 
how is Zach Baggins tied into all of this? Because you sent me the picture. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Ghost Adventures did an episode of the oh, okay. Axe Murphy House. And I was actually going to try to watch it, but I you had to be dis- dis- subscribed to Discovery Plus, mm, yeah. which I don't have. And I was like, I'm not doing a free trial for this. Not for Zach Baggins. But yeah, I sent Betsy <laughs> a picture as I was doing my research um, on the Ghost Adventures website or the travel channel website, they had like a picture of Zach and his teammates standing in like a cornfield. Like corn yeah. Um, and Zach just looked like an idiot. So I took a screenshot and sent it. So to is this house on like farmland basically? Kind of. Wait, let me show you a picture. Oh yeah. It's, I want to see a picture. It's, you'll look at it and be like, that shit is haunted. <laughs> okay. They also have a sign that says the Velisca ax murder house. Outside Classic. With, like dripping blood red font. Nice. It's like a white farmhouse kind of looking. It looks super yeah, that's haunted. Very creepy. It yeah. kind of looks like a smaller version of the conjuring house. They're it, both white and white farmhouses, basically. Yeah, it kind of does. We'll have a picture of it on Instagram. Yeah. Um, but yeah. That's that's my whew, story. I don't know how I've never heard of that. That I was crazy. surprised with how much evidence there was. That's like what should have been Amityville. Yes. Unfortunately, Amityville was fake. Yeah, but it I know the this <laughs> yeah, very much. Very much so. <sighs> wow, that was really good. Okay, guys. Well, that brings us to our paranormal protection tip of the week. So this week, we are advising you to ring a bell in each corner of your home. This practice is said to break up the negative energy and encourage positive energy. It's important to do this more than once as negative energy can come from many different sources. So this could be a great practice if you are moving into a new apartment or house and you want to um, start off on a good foot. Maybe if you're moving out of a house or apartment and you want to kind of close out your chapter there on a, on a positive note, or just if you're living somewhere and you're feeling a little spooked out, um, this practice can help you bring some clarity into your home and um, give you some positive energy. That is a good tip. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. You're very welcome. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for listening. Um, If you want to follow us when we're not releasing episodes, you can um, stay in touch on our Insta. And we are also on TikTok, both at DFWG podcast. Please rate and review us on Spotify and Apple podcasts. If you have a moment. (laughs) (laughs) And you can send us your personal encounters to our Gmail, which is uh, dfwgpodcast at gmail.com. Um, so thanks, you guys, for listening once again. Uh, when in doubt, ring that bell out. And always stay away from Ouija boards. Bye. Bye. Bye.